Brooklyn, New York. I'm Lisa Butterworth, and this is Caught Red-Handed. Hi, welcome to episode 16 of the Caught Red-Handed podcast. This is the bridal panel with Darcy Vasudev. This is the third episode of the bridal panel series with more to come. Today's guest is Darcy, as I said. We've heard from her before, but in this episode, we just focus on bridal henna. This conversation is part of an ongoing series of interviews with artists who specialize in bridal henna, and it's been really interesting so far to hear each person's different approach to bridal henna, from what side of the hand to start with to how to do a bridal consult. During these interviews, I learned so much from my guests. While they're talking, I'm in the background madly taking notes as I get ideas for how I can improve my own work. Some of the things that I have learned and implemented since starting these bridal interviews are, one, go back to basics with marketing. So print cards, take them to local places which cater to your desired clientele, and really just hit the streets again back how we used to do it when we first started out and we were really... um, gung-ho about our business. Uh, The second one is to draw out designs before doing a bridal gig. Even just a sketch just help plan things out. And the third one is that both hands don't have to be the same, but they should have the same feel and flow to them. That last one really has freed me up from trying to make sure that both hands look exactly identical. I find that very stressful. I think there are probably other great nuggets of wisdom, but these are the three that really stand out for me. Stay tuned for more interviews in this series and more words of wisdom from the greats. It's still winter here in Brooklyn. Some snow has melted, but there's some piles here and there, and we're expecting more. I actually love winter, and I love the snow, so I'm really not complaining at all. That just means more time for me to plan for the upcoming henna season, and also more time to work on the podcast. Business has actually been slow this winter, so I'm feeling really out of practice. And I was recently asked to do some gigs for free. Normally I get all worked up and huffy that someone wants something from me for free, taking food out of the mouths of my kitties, etc. But since things have been kind of slow, I feel like maybe I should just be doing henna, just even for free. So I accepted two of these gigs, one because it looks like it'll be fun with lots of interesting people, and the other because it's a cause that really matters to me, which is stopping child sex trafficking in India. I think there's definitely a connection there, since my art is also very tied to India. I'm hoping to make them into something worthwhile and fun, and I'm even going to one of them with my former assistant, which should make it really even more fun. And since I'm also still working on improving my con skills, these gigs will be a great opportunity to practice. I'll be sure to report back to you and let you know how they went. Since I've been remiss in my efforts to regularly get podcasts out to you, I will just shut up now and let you get right to the interview. Enjoy! Darcy, thanks for coming and being part of our bridal panel. I think everyone would agree that you have a lot of uh, bridal experience under your belt and 
can definitely offer a lot of really interesting insight. Um, so um, when did you start doing henna? How many years ago? Well, I think I had my first paying customer in 2004. So um, that would make this uh, year nine. Oh, wow. And and how many years have you been doing brides? Um, I think I had my first bride in... 2005 or 2006, um, and I didn't really start doing the more elaborate bridal hennas probably until late 2006, early 2007. Oh, okay. So that's a fair amount of time. That's a lot of experience. Yeah. And how? what percentage of your hours spent henning clients is bridal henna? Oof. Um, that would be hard for me to actually figure out. Um, <laughs> well, an estimate but, is fine. Yeah. Um, well, the bridles are, they tend to be seasonal. Yeah. Um, so in the summertime, there's definitely more of them. And I'd say that easily half of my gigs in the summertime are bridles. Um, in the wintertime, it tends to be less. Although this year, there's a lot. Yeah. More people are getting married in the winter there. Yeah, and also um, with the destination weddings, has oh, right. ch- changed my winters dramatically. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that also means you don't really get a break from them either. No, I don't get a bridezilla break. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but usually the destination ones—they're a little bit more chill, oh, and those nice. weddings are not as big, so yes. um, they're a little bit more mellow. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So I won't go into too much about your background since anybody who's listening to the podcast has probably listened to the episode where you do talk about your past. So I'll just jump right in and start um, start asking you questions. So these questions have been submitted by various people on Facebook, um, people who are fans of the podcast, but also people who are fans of the various people on the panel. So um, some of them are collected from the other people on the panel. Some Some of them came directly to me. Some of them were on the podcast um, Facebook page and we winnowed it down to about 35 questions but I'm not going to ask yes only 35 (laughs) I just kind of picked out ones that I thought would be interesting to hear your perspective on so to start out I want to talk to you about marketing and the question is have you had an unexpected success or failure with an advertising venue and go ahead and be specific if you, if you want to. <laughs> well, some people may know that I had an unexpected failure with a rather expensive advertising venue. Um, <laughs> I've been there. It, yes. Um, it was bad enough that I decided to write them a letter um, to let them know how dissatisfied I was. Um, so that was Maharani Weddings, and I paid... I want to say it was $350 or $450. I don't know, was, something yeah. very expensive. And, um, at the end of the year, I asked to see some metrics on, Mm -hmm. you know, how many visitors had looked at my profile there and how many click throughs. And I think they told me that there were only 123 clicks. And I thought that's a pretty expensive and very low yielding advertisement. Um, and they said, Oh, but that's great. These are targeted clicks. And I was thinking, nah, that was probably other henna artists that were clicking through. I'm bad at math, but yeah, that doesn't seem like a very good deal. No, and I didn't get any gigs out of it. At least no one that specifically mentioned Maharani Weddings. I think I got one gig and one person who actually booked me for a consult through that. Yeah, so that was an unexpected failure. Um, I was really 
you know, thinking it was going to be awesome and targeted, targeted clicks. And and also, you know, they have you on their platinum list, but their platinum list isn't really vetted. It's just whoever signs up first. Exactly. So that was kind of false advertising. I thought that they said, you know, this is a curated list of, you know, the finest artists, but the truth is it was just whoever was willing to pay that amount first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then any surprising successes? Um, I would say that the biggest surprise is, um, when I get messages through Facebook of people asking me about my bridal services or about purchasing products. Um, I never really expected that, well, I had heard that social media is a great thing to do, but I feel like it took a really long time for me to start getting actual inquiries through Facebook. Hmm. What do you, Um, do you have any idea what what you could attribute that to? Well, my Facebook business page, I've tried really hard to um, be active on there. Uh And I get people telling me pretty regularly now that, oh, yeah, I saw your pictures on Facebook or I've been following you on Facebook for a long time. Um, And these are people who actually, you know, contacted me through my email address or through my website, but mm-hmm. had been following me on Facebook for a long time. So I feel like those, it takes a long time for those seeds to grow, but, um, staying active and posting really beautiful pictures there actually does end up working in the long run. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. There's some pages where there's nothing new, so you just don't bother going back and, you know, nothing pops up in your feed. So it just kind of fades out of your, out of your, uh, perception of that company. Right. And I think um, one of the things that I started doing, I noticed other people doing it, was asking a question when I I post my pictures. Um, Mm. And when you get, as soon as you get a couple of comments, then uh, the the post actually becomes more visible to other people Mm -hmm. because of the way, you know, Facebook's business pages, a lot of the time those posts don't show up for anyone, but the minute you get, start getting comments and likes on those posts, they start showing up in more and more people's feeds. Um, So if you can find a way to engage your audience by asking some kind of question or inviting them to participate, it actually uh, seems to generate a lot more leads that way. Yeah. That's good advice. Do you think that there's a trend in bridal henna right now? Do you see anything that a lot of brides are asking for lately? You know, lately I feel like brides have been getting really traditional and they are wanting a lot of henna, like, you know, going all the way up to their elbows. And it's hard for me to determine if that's because those are the pictures that I have on my website. And so they just say, oh, okay, well, I want that. Or if these brides that are kind of, you know, acclimatized to American life or were actually born in the United States are really looking to get back in touch with their roots. And they're like, well, I'm going to go all out with a henna. That's a good point. Yeah. I also wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the economy getting better and people feeling like they can afford more henna. Yeah, I think that that could be part of it. Yeah, people definitely seem to be, um, they're not really flinching at the prices right now. And they're like, I just want a lot of henna and <laughs> yeah, I want you to do it. So yeah, could be economic for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell. I wish I knew. But I've been noticing the same thing. People want more coverage farther up the arm. And yeah, it's kind of nice. Kind of. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes I wish they would want a little bit more breathing room in their designs. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
and not that um, that difficult thing of making the design wrap around the arm. Oh yeah, deal with those bones. And, they, that like and to I cross feel like the brides other. mess it up every single time. Like they yeah. forget, especially yeah. about that little bit behind the elbow, and then they rest yeah. their arm down yeah. and get it inevitably gets smeared at least once. I always talk them out of that and remind them that it's going to make it really hard for them to move around and bend their arms. So I always suggest that they do it like just up to the top of the forearm and then just have me do like stuff trailing up their upper arm. And then they yeah. feel like they have coverage, but they don't have to worry about it as much. Yeah. One little motif that I have been using in that kind of um, Bermuda triangle, that's what I call it. Um, Where's that? <laughs> that little, like when you have to, when you're going to wrap a design around and there's that little part underneath the, the back of the elbow. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, instead of um, trying to make the design actually connect, I usually have some floating elements there, like little dot clusters or little like um, individual floating tiny flowers. Yeah. I saw a picture like that on Pinterest. It was such a brilliant way to connect that dead space. Yeah. Yeah. Do you practice anything to do bridal? You know, I'm I'm not very good with doing rough drafts of things. Mm -hmm. I never really have. Um, but maybe I should start drawing more. I've heard a couple other artists that I really admire talk about starting to draw more. Yeah. Um, and I actually did a couple little sketches before a bride that I had last week. And when it came down to doing her designs, I felt like I had a better idea of what I was going to do for her, even though I hadn't fully planned it out. Yeah. So I don't like to you know, decide every detail, but I do like to think of what my theme is going to be for it's that particular person for and whether the layout is going to be, yeah. you know, symmetrical or if it's going to be, um, you know, more organic or asymmetrical. Yeah. And that gives you confidence while you're working so that you can just kind of chill and not really think about it. Exactly. And then I don't get stuck in one of those situations where I'm like, oh my God, what have, what have I just done? I've ruined the design. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've actually started thinking more about the design before I go in and, and, uh, cause I've just had so many stressful situations where I just paint myself into a corner and then I regret not having thought about it a little bit more, planned it out more. Exactly. But I'm the same way. I don't want to draw a full rough draft for them. Right. So right. I yeah. I usually just spend... riff while I'm working. I might spend like two minutes making a little like two inch drawing with the layout. So I don't necessarily draw even the ideas for the fills or detail work. Um, I'll just decide if it's going to be, you know, bands or if it's going to be all flowy or floral. Yeah. And um, what's your, what's your workflow? What do you do first, second, third, so on? Well, I've normally been doing the palms first the backs of the hands second and the mm-hmm. feet at the end. Um, but last week I decided to try doing the backs of the hands first. And the reason is that sometimes when I get to the palms, I mean, when I get to the backs of the hands, I don't, when the arm twists around, I feel like it's awkward and there's parts of the palm side wrapping around. And yeah, sometimes I have a hard time incorporating that and making the whole design flow. So um, last week I actually tried doing the back of the hands first and I, um, when I turned her hands over and did the palms, I felt like I had a better idea of where I was going with the design and the backs of the hands turned out awesome. I was, oh, that's cool. you know, a hundred percent pleased with them. And also the backs of the hands show up more in photographs. Yeah. So I'm thinking I might start doing that from now on. And also the backs of the hands need the paste on longer to get darker. So you can right. think about it that way. 
that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still kind of struggling with that myself. I feel like in an ideal world, we would have our second artist who had the same style as us and we wouldn't have to spend, you know, quite as much time that we, we could work in tandem with another artist yeah, yeah. on the other side. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. One can dream. Yeah. <laughs> or clone yourself or something. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there's a logic to beautiful bridal henna? Or well, are there like some key things that people should remember to, to, get, to get a beautiful design? Definitely. Um, one of the things that I think is really important, and I'm sure a lot of people notice in my work, is that I do try to leave some negative space. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that henna is, so, is such a subtle color on the skin, and especially on deeper skin tones. It can mm-hmm. be quite subtle. And so when you leave a negative space, it, the space itself should have a shape. So instead yeah. of just leaving an area blank, the space it, itself actually needs to have a, a shape like a scalloped edge or mm-hmm. a you know, geometric edge um, or a circle, perhaps. Um, but something that will be really clear and noticeable as an actual pattern when you see it from afar. Yeah. So I think that that actually works really well for bridal henna because there's so much going on on the bride. There's like you know, her outfit and all the blingy jewelry and a and lot of eye makeup. covering it up. <laughs> yeah, all the bangles covering a large portion of the henna design mm-hmm. usually. So having a little bit of negative space that is in a specific shape or having the end of the, the design have a kind of discrete shape, like a, again, mm-hmm. like a scallop edge or like a you know, temple top, that's what mm-hmm. they call those onion-shaped yeah. dome. Call those the finials. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Some architectural elements. Yeah. Uh, I feel like having those finishing touches and having that breathing room will make the design show up better. Yeah. Instead of just being sort of like a jumble of freckly color all over. Yeah. That's how I feel when I see those super dense designs. I really want to see them with the paste off and see, see if all of that denseness really shows or if it is just a jumble as you say yeah you to me it looks like a jumble a lot of the time yeah yeah to each his own yes exactly (laughs) i get a lot of brides who want that negative space and i think there's you know that it's it's already kind of ingrained in our minds that you know we want that contrast between skin and henna yeah but i think a lot of brides because they don't necessarily have an artistic background, they don't even know to use the word negative space. Yeah, that's true. They don't even know what it means. Yeah. And often they're being pressured by their elders to just go full on, you know, complete coverage. Exactly. And more is better. So I think pointing out some of the artistic elements, like even giving them like a little mini lesson and artistic you know, design elements like texture and balance yeah. and symmetry. Like some people really don't even know the difference between organic and geometric. Yeah, that is true. Have you ever done any bridal henna where the bride didn't like it? And and how did you deal with that situation? Uh, well, I did have a bride who actually just doesn't like henna. Um, and she said, I'm only getting henna done because my family really wants me to and Mm -hmm. she lived in Los Angeles and I think she had really kind of 
you know, wanted to not be known as Indian. She wanted to be just a normal LA girl. (laughs) And so I said, well, you know, um, I still want to do a really nice job on your henna because I want you to have a good experience with it. And I tried doing a really beautiful design, really delicate for her. And she just didn't really seem to care. Like I asked her if it looked okay. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. Like she didn't, she didn't even look at it. Yeah. Um, and then she got this incredibly dark stain. Oh, no. um, and I imagine it probably on her palms must have easily lasted the three or four weeks. Oh, God. The poor so, dear. Uh, yeah, I felt a little bad for her. But at the same time, I was glad to have you know, delivered what I knew to be a nice job. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. But I haven't had someone tell me that they didn't like the design or that it wasn't what they asked for. Oh, that's good. At least good. Um, no one was you know, was, uh, rude and said that Um, to your face. (laughs) Maybe they were just being polite, but (laughs) yeah, I had a bride who didn't like henna and just kind of flipped through my book for 20 seconds and just said, Oh, do this. And it was just so uninspiring to henna her because she just did not care. care. Yeah. Yeah. Because then all your nice work is kind of just, I guess other people would appreciate looking at it, but she would be like, "Eh." yeah. Anyway. You can't make people like it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so when you do, you wrap up your brides when you're done henning them. No. Do you um, seal them? I just sometimes, yeah, I do seal them usually with um, sugar water solution. Um, I just spray it on. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a little spritz bottle that I bring with me, so I just spritz the the henna with the sugar water and hope that it that they, you know, are careful with their henna mm-hmm. and usually it's pretty sticky. Yeah. Um, the thing about wrapping that concerns me is that it can kind of get smushed. Yeah. Um, or people think that they can do stuff because it's wrapped and yeah. they get that, this kind of false sense of security. Um, so what I usually try to do is do the bride's henna starting her early in the day, like 11 o'clock in the morning. So she can just leave her henna on all day. Yeah. And then scrape it off before bedtime, and that way the color will oxidize while she's sleeping. Yeah, that's what I do too. Yeah, and also then there's not crumbs all over the bed. Yeah. Yeah, and also I feel like for what they're paying me to spend that time just wrapping them up is just a waste of their money. And if they want to wrap it up after I leave, that's cool, but there's no need for, you know, I don't have any special expertise in wrapping up their henna. Right, so. right. I And if I do recommend that they wrap their henna, like sometimes if someone really has to do it at night and is going to sleep with it, then I just make sure that they know not to listen to the aunties tell them to wrap it in saran wrap. I know. <laughs> so if your auntie is going to make you wrap it in saran wrap, then please wrap your hands in tissue paper first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even then that concerns me. <laughs> yeah, it is concerning. And I have had I have given that advice to one bride who ignored my advice. And then she said, Darcy, I'm so sorry. I ruined my bridal Mindy. <sighs> she sweated in her sleep and yeah. it, it uh, basically re-wetted and smeared and became, of yeah. course, incredibly, incredibly dark. On yeah, her of course. Yeah, because <laughs> of all that heat and moisture. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect conditions. Ugh. Yep. So is there a type of bridal henna that you've wanted to do but have never been asked? Hmm. Um, 
I haven't been asked to do a Sudani style bridal henna and <laughs> that's something that I'd really love to do. I feel like those designs are so beautiful and bold and yeah. I think it would be absolutely stunning. Um, I've done a couple of, uh, golf style, you know, a little bit lighter, more floral, um, types of designs. And I've done some Moroccan brides and mm-hmm. Moroccan henna for Indian brides, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'd like, I'd love to do a Sudani style bridal henna for somebody. I think it would be really exciting to, with the, like bo- the bolder lines, they give such a nice stain and oh, they're so flowy and beautiful. Yeah. And lots of negative space in those designs too. Yeah. Or really geometric, um, abstract patterns. They're yeah. just is pure art. It's just purely decorative. And I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when you're working on a design, do you, you were saying that sometimes you'll sketch something out, but do you, if you don't sketch it out, do you have something like, do you have a picture of it in your mind? Are you working from a book? Um, either one. Um, sometimes, you know, brides will have a specific design that they want me to do. Maybe one that they saw on my website or on Pinterest or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I ha- have those designs to work from, then I'll usually just copy it. Um, and if it's a certain one that I know very well, I sometimes don't even need to look at the picture. Yeah. Um, and other times I have these, those little canvases that I hennaed and they have a variety of different motifs on them. And I'll ask the person to, you know, point to the different ones and let me know which style they like best, or if there's a certain one that they want me to incorporate. So I have, yeah, I have different ways of dealing with them. And other times brides will just come and stick their hands out and, expect me to start working right away. (laughs) Right. Like just do something. Yeah. 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 So what's a typical bridal consultation for you? So usually the bride, um, will come to my house if she lives nearby and, uh, will I'll show her some of the design books that I have because those pictures are for the most part, not, uh, posted online anywhere. Uh, There are books that I got from India. Um, And so I'll say, like, you know, these are the latest books from India, and if there's anything in here that you'd like to try, like, we can do that. Um, it also helps me narrow down their style when they point to different ones that they like. Yeah. And then I usually take some notes. So sometimes they're really specific, and they're like, I want page 46 of Asha Savla's book. <laughs> um, or other times they're like, well, I like this page, this page, and this page, but I don't really care um, if it's exact. Mm-hmm. So I usually, I have a little notebook, I'll take a couple notes, I'll ask them if there's any motif that they don't want, um, or if there's something that they do want, um, in particular. Um, if they're choosing like a few different styles, I'll usually advise them either against mixing too many styles, or I'll say, you know, why don't we keep this style to your feet where it's, you know, going to be separated from your hands. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yes. Um, and then if they are able to have henna in the workplace, then I ask them if they would like to have a little sample. And since I usually do a Mendy party for the bride as well, I say, you know, this is the sort of size of design I'll do for your guests. Mm-hmm. And that way they can see how long it takes me to do it. And then they um, can also see how the stain comes out. Yeah. And so I tell them about the aftercare, um, but I ask them to report back to me and let me know 
how long they left it on and if the color came out well. And I can't even tell you how many times I get the bride telling me, oh, I only left it on for an hour, but the color came <laughs> The color is fine. <laughs> oh, God. You try so, your hardest to tell I them. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> yep. Yep. And how, what do you, how many of those people who come for a consult pay right there for the deposit? Um, usually I like to send them a deposit afterwards so they don't feel pressured. I oh, mean, okay. a, you know, an invoice yeah, but, afterwards so they yeah. don't feel pre- uh, pressured. Yeah. Um, or sometimes people have already paid me the deposit and they just are coming to talk oh, about okay. designs. Yeah. Um, so that's usually not a big issue at the, the time of the consultation. They're yeah. usually already pretty sure that they want to go with me. I think yeah. I've only had like a couple of looky-loos that were clearly yeah. shop, you know, shopping around. Yeah. And um, what was the other thing I was going to ask you? Oh, and you do free consultations? Yeah, the consultation is free. Um, I, you, like I said before, I usually have some idea of whether they're hiring me or not already. So I'm not that concerned about yeah. them waste, wasting my time. Yeah. Um, and they're coming to you. So yeah, they're coming to me. Wasting travel time. It, yeah, it's kind of at my convenience because I'm usually like, I can only do it on this day at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, a, you know, a big deal for me to to have them over. And sometimes if it's like one of my destination clients and I know that they're going to be paying a lot of money for my services to fly me somewhere, um, I'm more than happy to spend a little extra time with them. And I like to send them a little thank you. Um, like I do some handmade henna cards and I'll send them like a handmade henna card. Or if there's a copy of one of the magazines that has some of my work in it, then I'll send them a copy of the magazine and just kind of make them feel confident that, you know, I'm a respected artist and not just some random person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so now let's go into a kind of touchy subject. Um, you are white, um, for, for, um, want of (laughs) a better way to say that. Yes. (laughs) Very white American person. And, um, I just want to know how you feel, um, your race, if you feel like it's been a disadvantage or if it's an advantage for being a henna artist in a, you know, being white in a relatively South Asian and African Middle Eastern art. Right. Well, I feel that it can, it's a disadvantage and an advantage. So it's an advantage when I get to work with these fusion customers or like last week I had a, you know, double lesbian wedding feel that they're, they feel a less like I'm going to judge them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like in the, that case being, you know, white San Francisco girl can really work. Um, um, I've had, um, Pakistani customers say, well, I hired you because you're not Indian. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Oh. Um, well, How awkward. <laughs> Yeah, very awkward. But I guess most of the henna artists around the Bay Area are Indian and not Pakistani. Oh, so, okay. um, and I was just thinking, well, that's a little bit racist, and you know, <laughs> you, you clearly need to get over the issues that are going on back in South Asia. But yeah. all right, I guess I'll do the work for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then fusion couples usually seem really comfortable working with me. Um, I have had a couple of you know aunties calling 
you know, saying like, oh, I'm the, you know, mother-in-law of the bride and they'll ask me my price and then they'll kind of balk at my prices and then they'll ask me if I'm Indian, like just flat out and I'll yeah. say, uh, no, I'm Californian <laughs> and they'll say, okay, good to know. Thank you. And then hang up on me. <laughs> and then do you ever hear from them again? Sometimes. Well, sometimes then the um, bride will call and she's like, yeah, I heard that my mother-in-law called you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it depends. Sometimes I feel like they're, they just totally write it off, like assuming that I can't do the work. And I've had some people actually be surprised that the work on my website is mine. Yeah. Like I have had some of them say, well, can you do all the pictures that are on your website? And I say, yeah, those pictures were all done by me. Actually did those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like sometimes they're a little bit disbelieving of what I'm representing on yeah. my site. Uh, that's kind of sad, but. It's yeah. the truth. Well, that's the nature of the business, too. We've seen that. And then I feel like my so my whiteness is a really an advantage for when I'm offering the destination weddings because I'm really a confident and experienced traveler, and I speak Spanish, so I can, you know, confidently go and make my own travel arrangements, and that's not something they have to do for me. And I feel like sometimes the, um, you know, some of the South Asian brides, like they or not brides, the henna artists, they may not have as much experience traveling alone. Um, especially here, a lot of them are like, oh, I only do women-only events, or I don't have a car. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I guess I have a little bit of white privilege going on in that sense. Yeah. And, yeah, so there's advantages and disadvantages. Yeah. So you would say that you've probably lost some gigs for, from not being Indian. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I do feel like the when I do get hired, like people really respect me as an artist, That's and nice. it, I don't feel like a you know a second class citizen. Like I don't feel like I'm someone who touches people's feet and therefore, you know, should not be respected. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. What's your what do you bring to a gig? What's your basic kit? I have a, a very minimalist kit. And I like to be able to fit everything into my purse. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a little, too. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little mantra when I leave my house, I say, henna books directions. <laughs> so like those are really the most important things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I always make sure I have my henna paste and my sealer. Um, I like to have scissors and a nail clipper, um, you know, for cutting the cone end yeah. off. I, don't like to waste paper towels. So I actually bring a cloth that's washable so that I can use that as my, as you call them, snot rag. Um, (laughs) And then I have either my little um, design canvases. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'll bring books or sometimes I bring my iPad, which has some books on it Mm -hmm. and directions, um, even written directions because I'm afraid of my cell phone GPS not working or my battery on my phone dying. So I like to have that backup just to know how to get to a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how and, many... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And that's pretty much it. A camera. Yeah, yeah. And how many of your brides come to you as compared to you going to them? Um, right now, I'd say it's about 50-50. And I really encourage them to come to me because I feel like I have a more ergonomic working condition with natural light and um, all my supplies and you know, footstools of varying heights that I can use. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's still some brides that 
um, need me to go to them for certain reasons. Like sometimes after a certain ceremony happens, the bride isn't supposed to cross the body of water. And we have a lot of water and bridges in the Bay Area. (laughs) So they're kind of stranded. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then it also makes it easier for them to take care of their henna if they don't have to drive. Yeah, it's definitely easier for them. But I like, I just invite the bride to, you know, bring a friend with her to drive her home. Um, And also then she doesn't get interrupted by people while I'm working on her. Yeah. So do you prefer to do it before the Sangeet or during? Oh, I prefer to do it before. I'd rather, I'd much rather do the bride's henna when there's no distractions. Yeah. Yeah, I if hear it that. All, yeah, if it all if it all possible, I'd, I'd rather not do it at the Sangi. And then also, um, for just for the bride's comfort, then on her party night she can dance and not worry about messing up her hair. Exactly. Henna. Yeah, that's what I try and tell them. Try because I I prefer to do it beforehand, and so I try and kind of push them in that direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, do you yeah. have any any um, piece of advice that you'd like to give to prospective bridal henna artists out there? Well, I think one piece of advice would be um, before you know taking on your first client to do a trial run on a model, um, time it to realize how much time it actually takes because sometimes you think it's going to take three hours, but I've heard of people spending, you know, 12 hours on their first bridal henna. And that's a long time to make somebody sit. Yeah. Uh, Even if you're not charging them for that. Yeah, exactly. So it's really important to know your speed, know your limits, know how much henna you use per hand and per foot. Yeah. That's good advice. But easier said than done because a lot of the time people don't they're like, they get a request and they hadn't done a bridal before, but they don't want to turn it down. Yeah. And they're excited because they've got a request coming in. Yeah. But if you get a request and it's far enough in advance, you can do your practice run. Yeah, definitely. Get it all figured out. Yeah, I don't, I can't think of anything that would have prepared me for my first bridal <laughs> appointment. So, uh, um, yeah, same here. I don't even know if doing a practice run would have helped me, but. Yeah, I'm pretty sure doing a practice run wouldn't have helped me. Like, I was not at all prepared for yeah. doing bridal henna, like, on a bed with, like, <laughs> with like six Indian girls bouncing around in a pretty dark yeah. room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine was on the floor in this tiny apartment. It was a Punjabi family, so they were all just dancing constantly around me the whole time. Oh, my gosh. The floor was shaking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. I mean, you can time yourself, but it's like... Yeah, nothing you prepares really you for the, that. especially a white artist, um, yeah. never prepares you for the <laughs> onslaught of, uh, you know, Family. sensory stimulation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And then people pushing food on you and yeah. asking you questions while you work. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that is good advice. I agree. It's not the most exciting advice, but it's... No, it's practical, <laughs> practical, though. And sometimes we need these practical steps. Do this, do that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me and imparting your wisdom to all of our listeners. All right. Thanks so much for having me and I'll look forward to the podcast. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the bridal panel. This was 
the third in the series, and I hope to have more. If you have any suggestions of people you would like me to interview for the bridal panel and you want to hear their answers, please let me know. You can email me or find me on the Facebook page of the podcast. I apologize for the delay in getting this podcast out. I was really busy with my day job. And then when I finally sat down to work on the podcast, I decided, oh, I think I'm going to clean out my Mac and get rid of some old files and get it all working really efficiently. And I threw away all the music files for this podcast. And I love the music for this podcast. So I have spent the last couple of weeks trying to find a way to get it back. And the composer of the music finally was able to find the files and send them to me. So we are all saved, and now we have music for the podcast, which you'll hear in a minute. So because of that, I would like to thank Shlomi Cohen for the music and for saving my butt and bringing you this podcast. I'd also like to thank Nash Kurum for the photo and thank all of you for being patient and also giving me all of your support and understanding. Tune in next episode of the Caught Red-Handed Podcast. Good night.